there's gold in them bar hills. The gold rushes of the 18 and 1900s were exciting times in history, but even more exciting was the event that made it available to greedy prospectors. What was this epic occurrence? Gold is in everything. You know, in, in very trace amounts, we can find gold in everybody's backyard. This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. Gold is a rare and beautiful metal, which has always been of great value, even in biblical times. It's first mentioned in Scripture in Genesis chapter 2, where God calls the gold in the land of Havilah good. Gold is part of God's six-day creation, but why is much of it concentrated in certain rocks and stream beds? Well, get your burrow, canteen, and pickaxe, and come along with us for the next 15 minutes as we prospect for information about gold, talk about the gold rushes, and discover what Noah's flood had to do with all of it. So, just how do we equate glistening, costly gold to the worldwide flood? Well, Dr. Andrew Snelling is a geologist and director of research at Answers in Genesis. He says much gold is concentrated in granite rocks, which were formed during Noah's flood. A lot of the deposits, for example, through the southwest of the United States all the way up through the Rockies up into Canada, you've got these big copper gold and copper gold molybdenum deposits that are in granites. And all those granites formed during the flood because they're in the roots of the mountains. That was where you had catastrophic collisions of plate movements. During the flood and molten rock came up and it concentrated the copper and the gold and sometimes molybdenum with it. But just how did the gold get mixed in with the granites? Gold, like a lot of other elements and metals, is present in most rocks in minute quantities. And so to make it viable for man to exploit, the gold needs to be concentrated. So, for example, in many granites, when the granite forms, the gold is dispersed. But what happens as the granite cools, you get water released from the magma that's being dissolved in the molten rock. That water collects all the stray metals, such as gold. And, of course, the water goes along fractures with other elements. And so in the fractures, it cools as veins and deposits the gold. So you get gold in veins. So it's, it's collected the gold from a large area and concentrated it in a small fracture. The gold concentrated in rocks is called vein or load gold. ICR geologist Dr. Steve Austin says gold can be found everywhere, but you can't just start digging anywhere in search of the mother load. What happens is we look for places where gold has been collected, right? Because it's, gold is in everything, you know, in, in very trace amounts. We could find gold in uh, everybody's backyard, just in the soil sitting there. But we're looking for concentrated gold, aren't we? We're looking for the native element. That's the hard thing to find. Now, it used to be that prospectors with a burrow and a pick would go out and start digging around trying to locate high concentrations of gold. And what we have discovered is that gold occurs in two different places. It occurs in veins or cracks associated with uh, hot water and hot fluids. It's called vein gold, typically. And then we have another kind of gold, which occurs at the Earth's surface in gravel layers, and that's called placer gold. In fact, it was the finding of placer gold that started the first great gold rush. Now, in California, we had the gold rush, 1848, and what did we have? We had 
we had uh, Sutter, who had his mill there on the American River in uh, Central California, and what did he find? He was looking at the gravel in the riverbed, and he found flecks of gold and nuggets of gold. And so he started panning it, and he collected, you know, a very unusual quantity of gold, and the word got out, right? And everybody was out looking for placer gold, and that's that's what Sutter discovered at Sutter's Mill back in 1848. So far, we've learned that vein gold, also called load gold, is concentrated in granite rock because of geological processes that occurred during the worldwide flood, while placer gold is found in stream beds. ICR geologist Bill Hoche explains how gold veins could be broken up into placer gold. In the placer deposits, what happens is you have water erosion, right? Streams rushing down off the northern Sierras, probably streams that were carrying uh, meltwaters from glaciers, that kind of thing, heavy-duty streams probably, that were ripping up some of the quartz veins that contain the gold and transporting that gold and breaking it up as it went. And the gold being very, very heavy, uh, it's got a, a specific gravity of 19 grams per cc, in other words, 19 times, almost 20 times heavier than water, right? Far heavier than most ordinary rock, which is about 2.5 grams per cc, right? That gold will always concentrate in the very bottoms of the stream channels. So if you can find a stream channel in the northern Sierras, and if you can reach the bottom of that stream bed, that's where you're going to find the gold. However, gold is not only concentrated in granites or found in stream beds. It's also found deep in the earth in pre-flood rock. The biggest deposits in the world are from the Witwatersrand Basin in South Africa, of course. This is world famous. About 30 to 40 percent of the world's supply comes from one single basin in South Africa. There, you're, you're looking at pre-flood sedimentary rock is what it looks like. And so we have pre-flood gold, and we have in California, I think, mostly gold that was generated late in the flood year and possibly uh, moved as stream gravels in the post-flood period. But in those big deposits in, in South Africa, unbelievably, are the deepest mines in the world, down to 12,000 feet into the earth. You know, imagine mines going uh, two and a half miles down. Now let's consider some gold rushes of the past and how they changed society at the time. Among the most famous are the rich strikes that occurred in California, Alaska, Canada, and Australia. During these times, men would stop at nothing in their search for gold. Bill Hoche tells us how greed dominated the 1848 California gold rush. I know how men searched for that gold. They left families. They risked their lives on perilous ocean voyages. Sometimes many of them went around the southern tip of South America to get there from the East Coast. They spent their money, their energy, their health, even though they knew, a lot of them knew, uh, that only about one out of a hundred or even less ever really got rich from it. I think of the profiteer Samuel Brannan in the streets of San Francisco. Now, Brannan was a, what, he was a newspaper publisher and a merchant. He had heard rumors of gold at Sutter's Mill, all right? And he immediately set up a store to sell gold prospecting supplies. And then he marched down the street with a vial of gold in his hand, screaming at the top of his lungs, gold, gold, gold in the American River in the Sierras, you know. And that officially announced the beginning of the California gold rush, right? In other words, he was a profiteer. He really 
benefited in a kind of a corrupt way from this uh, thing. During this time, covetousness and greed also affected state government. California went from a Mexican territory to a U.S. territory to statehood, California statehood, in two years. All right, 1850, it was uh, a U.S. state. By 1850, most of the easily accessible gold was already found. One of the first things that the California legislature enacted was a miner's tax of $20 per month, a miner's tax to be applied to foreigners to drive out the Chinese and the Latin Americans, which were very numerous in the gold fields prior to statehood. But gold fever didn't just strike prospectors and entrepreneurs in North America. Dr. Snelling tells us that greed seemed to possess people wherever gold was found. In Australia, for example, it wasn't just the gold miners fighting one another, but what happened, we had Chinese immigrants that came here that didn't actually look for the gold. They thought that they could make their money by supplying food to the gold miners because they were busy getting the gold. They couldn't go and get the food easily. So the Chinese traders also bumped up the prices, make the prices higher, and so they were making a lot of money from the miners and causing them misery when they were still trying to get gold. And the riots broke out and people were killed as a result of this commotion, all competing to make their wealth from the gold. Although there was surely no lack of sin and depravity due to gold fever, Dr. Snelling tells us that there were some good things that resulted from the gold rushes. He cites the establishment of Australia, his home country, as one of them. In fact, it was through the latter part of the 19th century, from 1852 through to the 19, early 1900s, there was gold rushes where people rushed to state claims and to get rich quick that brought thousands and thousands of people to Australia that actually established Australia as a country. Without the population coming here and seeking their fortunes, Australia wouldn't have had the population to be given nationhood. So it can bring out the best in people, but it can bring out the worst in people because everyone wants to get rich quick, supposedly. You know, without God, without being satisfied in our relationship to God and knowing that he takes care of our future, man feels he has to provide for himself. And so if life is tough, if you can get rich quick, well, you go for it. And it doesn't matter if you have to walk over other people to get it. It's what's best for me counts, and that's what drives even many people today in what they do, sadly. Bill Hoche would agree, and says the men who went crazy searching for gold would have been much better off had they searched for God instead. It reminds me of Matthew 16:26, important verse for putting things in perspective. It says, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? In other words, the human soul is of infinite worth. And men will go searching for gold, thinking that's great stuff, you know, amazing to me. And the kind of wisdom that's spoken in Scripture is available to any one of us. Jesus said also in Matthew chapter 11, 28 and 29, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I think of the gold miners when I think of that verse. Those guys work themselves to death. Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, chasing the gold, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Dr. Snelling says people who try to get by without God can be compared to fool's gold.
there's another mineral called pyrite or pyrites, which is iron sulphide, which looks like gold, and so it's often called fool's gold. It looks like the real thing, but it isn't. You know, so many people can be like that. They can put on the facade that they're okay with God. They can make everyone think that they're Christians when they really aren't. They're being absolutely foolish. They're fooling themselves. They're not fooling God. He knows. Then the, the real test then is to face up to this issue right now and say to God, now I'm going to quit fooling around. I'm going to ask you to forgive me for my sin and my rebellion and I'm going to place my trust in you and in the Lord Jesus Christ who you sent to be my saviour, to die on the cross for me and he rose from the dead. He's durable, he's long-lasting, he's precious and so we can put our faith and trust in him. As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in.